sneaky old vulture. He was manipulating you from the start. No, I kept us alive. No, he was, he was taking advantage of you. Or it was just a way for me to keep being whatever I've always been. A killer. Do you swear to protect the travelers of the night and bring my vengeance to those who would do them harm? and live again as my fist of vengeance as my moon knight If you're unlucky, the sands of the Duat. I'm of course your host, Bangkoli Mokwede, and today I'm going to get into the fifth and penultimate episode of Marvel's Moon Knight. So yeah, I hope you have your tissues ready. Um, first of all, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. Please take a second to follow us on whatever platform you're listening on, and also rate us if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. This really helps us get out there. We are currently in the middle of a lot of great TV being put out and we're trying as much as possible to cover as many as we can on the podcast or at least let you guys know about some of them so you could go with them on your own. Obviously, we're about to finish our Moon Knight run and we just started up our Peter Console coverage along with our Barry coverage. Oza came out last weekend and we're going to be covering so many more shows that are coming out soon and we hope to cover them as they do come out. Speaking of all the shows coming out, I did a recommendations episode a few weeks back so that might interest you if you'll be looking for new shows to to watch and of course there's some movies that we're looking forward to that are coming out within the next few weeks that obviously this podcast cares about and we'll try to cover them as soon as we can um so yeah please tell your friend about the podcast please tell someone that you know that likes film and tv about this podcast and hopefully more people can get to know about the podcast and as always if you're interested in coming on feel free to message any one of us and we'll try to find the right episode and the right time for you to come on and just talk about film and tv with us um, before I go into talking about the episode, just a quick caveat. So I've tried to avoid talking about dissociative identity disorder as best as I could during the course of our discussions on this show, mainly because I'm obviously not knowledgeable about it and I don't want to say anything ignorant or offensive. That's not going to change during this episode's discussion, but just because of the nature of this episode, I feel like it's very likely that some of, some of my points may touch on these areas. And I admit that anything that I say is obviously from a point of privilege. So. If there's anything that I say that is wrong or harmful, please feel free to reach out and let me know with clarification and corrections, and I'll be sure to make them. Yeah, thank you. I want to see what she did. I want to see what she did. Disgusting. You're not meant to see that. You're not meant to see that. That's the whole point of you. The point of me? The point of me, what, to be your stress ball? All this time I thought I was the original. But I'm just something that you made up. You've got to live. A happy, simple, normal life. You understand? But it was all a lie, wasn't it? So what? What does it matter? What, you want to remember the truth? That you had a mother that beat you? That hated you? 
that, that made your life a living hell? You know, you're just trying to upset me. But you've gotten to live thinking that she loved you, that she was kind, that she's still alive. Asylum. This is the fifth episode of Moonlight, written by Rebecca Kirsch and Matthew Orton. It's directed by Mohamed Diab. So, um, if you've listened to our episodes covering the rest of the season, I don't think it's a surprise or any big revelation that I've been enjoying this show so far. My fear, like most MC properties, has always been with the especially TV shows, with the with the stick the landing. That fear is obviously still there, but. I've enjoyed this show, I've, and I think this episode 5, Asylum, I, I believe it's the strongest episode of the season, and I honestly think it's up there with the penultimate episode of WandaVision, the penultimate episode of Loki. I really, I really enjoyed this episode. I remember just being, like, kind of frozen in emotion watching this episode. I mean, obviously, it's a quite an emotional episode, and there are several points in which you go, okay, is this... There are several points where I was surprised that this was an MCU show doing this. When I spoke about episode 4 with my friend Sam Neil on this podcast. I mentioned how I didn't really care about why or how Mark and Steven were in this asylum or this psych ward, but I was more interested in what the show was going to use this device for. What were they going to tell us about the character using this device? And I think with that in mind, going into this episode, I was just, I was very impressed. I was very satisfied with what we were able to learn about, about Mark, especially during this episode, and also eventually about Steven and about how their condition came about, how this split happened. Just as a refresher for anyone who may not remember or needs a bit of refreshing, um, we find Mark and Steven with the, the goddess Tawarit, and she explains that they are in fact dead and they're heading into the afterlife, but before that can be done, they need to balance their souls, or but their hearts rather, against the feather of justice. The psych ward is kind of their brain, their brain's manifestation of, of this afterlife, of this journey. But then their souls are, are not being balanced, and for that to happen, they need to share whatever secrets they are keeping from each other. When they were going to that cave, I was like, huh, no, this show is not going to do that. Wait, this is an MCU show. This is a Disney Plus. Are they actually going to do that? And then, and then this, the death of his younger brother leads his mom down a depressive hole. She becomes very abusive, but um, emotionally and physically and we later find out that it's one of these physical abuse states that kind of leads mark into we don't i, I we can't tell if that's the first time it happens i think it probably was but that leads mark to this split that creates steven more on that in a second mark all those horrible things that she said to you she was wrong it wasn't your fault I shouldn't have brought him in that cave. I shouldn't have brought him in the cave. Hey. Hey. You were just a child. It wasn't your fault. Um, watching this show a second time, or rather watching this episode a second time, where you know where the story is going to go, and you know all the themes of the episode, I just kept on really thinking about the fact that Oscar Isaac was playing these scenes against his brother, like his real-life brother. And it's one thing to say some of these things or talk about losing your brother or forgiving the other character for his brother's death against like a, a random actor. But to do it to your brother's face while both of you are acting must be so like, I can't imagine like the emotions that were going through must have been so emotionally raw and naked during that period. It's just thinking about that, just like, just from an actor's point of view, I'm just like, wow, that's like, I can't imagine 
while he was going through those two, three days on set. But that actually leads me to to a question I have. And again, so guys, I I might have a few questions during this episode. And I know it's just me speaking to the void here. But if you have any answers, feel free to, again, reach out, message us on Twitter, Instagram, whatever. If you have any discussions, if you have any questions, answers, you can have a conversation. Again, on rewatch, I was thinking, who had the worst journey in this episode? I mean, you might think it's like an obvious answer, but I don't know. I was thinking about it. I was like, I mean, Mark obviously has to relieve literally the worst points of his life and he has to kind of show Stephen the darkest parts of him and the secrets that he's been holding about how and what Stephen is and how Stephen came to be. But obviously also Stephen, actually no scrap it, Stephen had the worst journey. Like I, I, there's no room, there's no room for actually an argument or discussion on Stephen's journey in this episode is, is quite terrible and we'll get to that. But in thinking about Stephen's storyline this episode and just the realization, I kept on thinking about the Shutter Island quote, which is at the end of the film, in which obviously, if you've watched Shutter Island, or if you if you haven't watched Shutter Island, I don't want to spoil it, but if you've watched Shutter Island, you know the quote in which Lou DiCaprio's character talks to Mark Ruffalo's character, and he says, um, essentially, would it be worse to live as a monster or die as a good man? I don't want to explain that quote in terms of the film, just for spoilers, but... I kept on thinking about that in terms of Steven, and I don't even know why. I don't even know if, if it, like, perfectly applies. It's definitely a one-for-one comparison. And honestly, like, it might, be, it might just be random bullshit. But, but again, if you're new to this podcast, I apologize. But if you aren't, you know that, like, me chatting bullshit is powerful the course on this podcast. Um, but from Steven's point of view, he's always believed that he was the main persona, right? That he's the good guy. And Mark is just this violent murderer, this mercenary who somehow happens to share a body with him, right? He, he saw Mark as the inconvenience, as someone he could keep out of the body. That's kind of how he saw Mark. But then in this episode, he, he realizes that if anything, Mark has, I, I don't say more right to the body. Again, I, back to my earlier caveat, I'm, this is where I appreciate that some things I say may be um, insensitive or tone deaf. So please let me know if I, if I, or something like that but he realizes that mark has that it's mark was the earlier one for lack of a better word so if anything mark maybe has more right to the body and steven is the one that was created mark uses him as, as a point of solace he uses him like to to face his abusive mother because who else to, to face this mother but the man who has no fear steven grant and i think it's, it's interesting because like Stephen has been positioned, and I'm sure he even believed it as well, that he was the weaker of the two. He was the weaker one. He was the one who needed protecting. He was the one who like needed to cower behind Mark. But in reality, Mark created him to protect Mark. So just going back to that short island quote before I, <laughs> I lose my train of thought, I became very fixated on that idea of like living as a monster or dying as a good man. And it was the fact that Stephen now has to make peace that he and the quote-unquote monster, that's his mark, are the same person. He has to find a way to like to accept that that's his, him, and he is that. Like, he always tried to make it plain that I am Stephen, Mark is evil, he's wicked, he's a killer. I'm Stephen, I'm a good guy. Right. But now he has to accept that. Sorry, just think about this now. I can't remember the name of Stephen's goldfish. Because if it's Roro, 
I may start crying on this podcast. I don't want to look at it. I don't, I don't want to look it up. But sorry, but yeah. So he has to accept that him and Mark are the same person and, and, and the things in Mark that he saw as being evil or wicked or whatever, like that is still part of him. And of course, this leads us to his hero moment on the boat where he's like surmising that he and Mark are the same person. Whatever Mark can do, he, he can do as well. So yeah, that, that short island quote just kept on playing in my head. Stephen doesn't get asked the question. He just has to accept it, that he's both the good man and the monster. And that's what makes him whole. This is what I don't understand, though. And I've thought about it. I've tried to figure it out. I haven't been able to. So if anyone knows an answer, please, again, let me know. But if Mark brings out Stephen, or rather he brought out Stephen whenever he couldn't handle everything that was going on, right? Because, again, Stephen Grant has no fear. And in this case, we see that the first time Stephen comes out, is when his mom is about to beat him. So, like, in that case, shouldn't Stephen remember the beating? Like, that's something I don't understand. Like, what's going on here? Like, if Stephen is present for the beating and not Mark, shouldn't Stephen remember the fact that his mom beat him? So, I don't know. I, I need clarification on that if anyone knows. Because the other time we see Stephen and Mark transition, which is um his mom's shiver, that tracks because it, it makes sense that Stephen comes out after like Mark breaks down and it makes sense that he wouldn't remember all of that. But the, the beating, him not remember the beating kind of st- still stumping me so I don't really know. Again, like I said, I've thought about this a lot so I, I don't know. An explanation could be that by, by Stephen's very nature he blocks out the traumatic situations which would then explain like why he believed his mom was alive but like when he's pushed to confront the truth by Dr. Harrow he acknowledges that he remembers that like she's dead. Like he, it, it dawns on he's like that door has been locked, but like when he's pushed to like actually break it down, it actually opens and you see that there was something behind the door all along. So that could be an explanation. I don't know, maybe I missed something. If I missed something, please let me know. Um I really enjoyed the deep dive into into Mark's psyche. I'm not sure I completely follow what was going on with the asylum bits. I mean I understood them in isolation. I don't know if I entirely know how they related to the other storylines yet. Speaking of, I mean, there's the prevailing theory that the character with the like blooded up nose and the bandages, that was Jake Lockley. Um, because again, he has a very strong New York accent and he's also quite violent in, in that in that scene. So I'm sure obviously but one way or another by next week we'll have an answer. I've enjoyed the show so far. I've enjoyed that they've been able to like take risks and I don't know how I've said before on previous episodes, I don't know how divisive the show is to general audience, but I've really enjoyed the show and I've really enjoyed what they've done and I think most of the risks have paid off. Okay. Let's talk about country, shall we? Um I think on the previous episode I mentioned how country was toxic, because that's only what I could think to describe him. And again, that's still the only what I could think to describe him. So Conscious says, Do you want death? Or do you want life? I don't know. Your mind. I feel it. Fractured. Broken. Most fascinating. You are a worthy candidate to serve me during this time. So here's the thing. It's one thing to approach with this Faustian deal to someone who's literally dying, like, sell me your soul and I'll I'll save you. That's already, like, manipulative enough, okay? But then to recognize that he's unwell and broken and go, ah, yeah, perfect. Like, I wanted someone that was broken. Like, it's just like, 
Jesus, like, what is wrong? I can't man. He's so brazen with the fact that he wants Mark because Mark is broken, because he senses this kind of dividing Mark. And speaking of conscience, there's that, obviously, that shot when Stephen is, older Stephen is pulling the kids into the cave and he steps on what looks like um, bird bones. I don't know if people think that might be country, that maybe country was always following Stephen and Mark, or rather Mark and Roro, right from young, and he was always kind of almost grooming him for when he needed him to take over. I can't tell you, I don't know. But it's one thing to come with this life-saving bargain to someone that is dying and you know has no other option but to accept, but then to, to recognize that, that person is is broken and unwell and pick that as the reason why you want them. Whew, okay. But that actually leads me to a point of discussion because Mark being unwell is obviously an attraction to country, right? And the fact that he has all this grief and anger makes country believe that Mark would be a good quote-unquote fist of his vengeance, right? And... <laughs> It's difficult to, to think about this show as I as I have to do for a podcast and not think about another Fist of Vengeance that we were recently reintroduced to. And then he as well is clearly going through his own mental battles and his own like battles with grief and, and vengeance and things like that and what it means to be whole. And with that story as well, obviously I'm talking about Matt Reeves as the Batman, but in that story as well, they're trying to take him down a more hopeful path without losing the essence and the fire of the character, right? He, he says he wants to be more hope, less vengeance, right? That's not going to make him super, Superman, but he's still going to be Batman, but he's going to be a bit more hope. And the journey of Mark, at least in these first five episodes, of Mark and Steven would be for Mark to essentially just be less angry, like ch- chill out, dude, like be, stop being so as intense. But the, I think the question that these five episodes of Moon Knight will pose is that would Mark make a good Moon Knight if he was healthy? The same thing with like, would Bruce Wayne make a good Batman if he was healthy? If he was well-adjusted, would he be? Because you kind of have to be a little bit, quote-unquote, crazy to to be Batman. And it's like, obviously, we, we know that Moon Knight started off as a as the Marvel's version of, of Batman. But it's like, would Mark... First of all, I don't think Conchu would have approached Mark if Mark was entirely healthy and well-adjusted and everything was fine. But then, would Mark make a good Moon Knight if he was held? And it's also quite interesting because a lot of, a lot of, actually, Phase 4 has been with confronting the trauma of superheroes. If, even before Phase 4, they did this with, with Tony and Tony's trauma. They did this with, in terms of, of Cap. And, like, Cap was someone who quite literally was frozen for 70 years. Like, that's traumatic. And I, I think with Thor as well, they've been confronting this trauma since, since Ragnarok. So it's like, for Mark, Actually, the kind of hero Mark is who kills people just like he's a mercenary. He's not he's not meant to instill hope in people. Right? He's meant to he's meant to protect the travelers of the night. He's meant to instill fear in those who would do them harm. And it would Mark have been a good moon knight if he was healthy? And that's I, I can't answer that question for myself. It's just a question that came to my head. And I would love to hear you guys' opinions on that, if you have any. I mean, the hope is that the answer is yes, because I'm assuming the intention of the writers and directors is to make Mark a bit more healthy, put him on the path of, of rehabilitation. And that should not affect his Moon Knight-ness. Would that make sense? Like, he should still be able to be Moon Knight, even maybe not as someone that just keeps on punching the jackal when the jackal is obviously dead. But, like, just a bit more, to take a turn of phrase from, from the Batman, a bit more hopeful. Um, yeah, I mean, like, country is terrible. Mark is broken. Steven is precious. 
like that uh, we can we can summarize the show like that. I'm very excited for the final episode. I really, really hope it's it lives up to what episode five has done. I hope the eventual CGI fights between Mark and between Moonlight and maybe Amit, I don't really know what's gonna go on. Oh, but I guess Ethan Hawke will probably have like a costume from Amit. Whatever, I hope that fight doesn't take away and I hope first of all I hope that fight is good. But I also hope that fight doesn't take away from like the work of the rest of the episode. Yeah, I really hope they're able to to stick the landing. That's all I can say. Okay, so as you're listening to this, Multiverse of Madness is a few days away. I am obviously excited, but more so I think I'm actually quite scared for this movie. I just genuinely hope like it's good. Like, I don't know, like kind of a similar fear that lots of people had for Spider-Man No Way Home. Mine is a lot more for this. I just, I don't know. I just, I'm excited for this movie. I have muted so many words on Twitter. I just really hope it's entertaining. I hope it is, unfortunately, has so much hype for it and so much expectation. People expect so many things from this movie, story-wise and cameos and visuals and character. It's just a lot. And I just really hope that it manages to, to hit it. Um, I'd be surprised if anyone here hasn't watched WandaVision, but if you haven't, please, you probably need to go watch that heading into Multiverse of Madness, or at least do a recap, but watch the show, because to me, it's, yeah, it's one of my best MCU entries, actually, just in general. Um, Additionally, I've been saying this since What If Ed, we even did an entire episode on it, telling you guys why you should watch it, but if for some reason you skipped What If, which is fair enough, um... I think you need to go and revisit it ahead of Multiverse of Madness. Uh, most especially episode four, which is titled What If Doctor Strange Lost His Heart Instead of His Hand? In which we are introduced to Strange Supreme. And also episode five, What If Zombies? There's a good little Wonder Maximoff arc there that I think might be, if not pertinent to Multiverse of Madness, would be interesting to kind of how they paint Wonder going forward. I think those two episodes, um, I don't think Multiverse of Madness is going to be a live-action remake of episode 4, but I think it's very interesting to just give you an idea of certain ideas the MCU has about certain characters. And and there are some characters that made some cameos that I think might make it into the live-action. I mean, I think we, we see Shimagorath in the trailer. So, yeah, I would suggest watching those two episodes. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed that this is... That's good. But yeah, guys... Moon Knight, five episodes down, one to go. Next week's the finale. I'll be joined by TMT, who was here at the beginning of the show to talk about the premiere. I don't really know what people's thoughts are about this show. I'm just not about my own head and people that I have on. So I'm just to hear more people's thoughts about what they think of Moon Knight. The fact that it's not as action-heavy, the fact that we've seen the actual character of Moon Knight maybe in two episodes, like I think episode two and three, is that a detriment to it or people like that it's now a well-beaten drum to kind of praise performances of oscar isaac and, and nathan hogg but i mean might as well just say like once again they are incredible in this episode and we're not expecting anything less okay guys the scales are finally balanced osiris's gates have opened so we've come to this end of this episode i really hope those of you who've Managed to get to the end and enjoyed it. Again, like I said, if you have any questions or thoughts or comments or answers to my questions, feel free to message message me on Instagram or Twitter or message the podcast. And rate and review, please. If you want to be on the podcast, let us know and we'll try to 
find a date and a topic for you um yeah but for now come join me in the field of reads as we try to figure all this shit out thank you to everyone and join us next week we'll be joined by the great the incomparable my fist of vengeance daniel kaluuya bye guys <laughs>